the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 29, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, Part 1. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. In a house in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, there lived a man named Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax included a list of books and stories to be inspirational reading for those who wish to journey over misty mountains, hoping to find dragon's treasure in deep dungeons and cold caverns. Here on the Appendix N Podcast, we have gathered elven sages with the wisdom to read the moon letters and unravel the riddles that will lead us safely to our destination, although we will possibly need help from our lucky birthday present now and then. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. Together with my co-host Jeff Wickstrom and my guests, we lay bare the dusty secrets of these forgotten tomes and speculate how they may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you are reading along with us and would like to send us your comments, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me, as always, is my fabulous co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. I am so happy to be here. And we have two returning guests tonight, Lewis Brenton. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Welcome back. And Peter Foxhoven. Hi, guys. Always a pleasure to be here. Peter is our Conan expert, but uh, tonight we journey to Middle-earth, which is, which is a far different place from the, from the uh, savage Hyborian Hi Age. It's hard to imagine a fantasy hero more different from Conan than Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He is, he is very much at the, at the opposite end of the hero spectrum. All right. So normally I, I, I give uh, biographical information on, on our, our uh, authors. Uh, tonight I, I'm going to refer uh, listeners to the excellent biography by, by Humphrey Carpenter. If you if you want to know more about the life of J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, and we I, we we may actually go more more into his biography in the second episode when we talk about on on fairy stories, just because it will it will give me a chance to talk about his uh, his Oxford career. Uh, I will I will note here he was he was born January third, eighteen ninety two in Bloemfontein, Orange Free State, South Africa, and he died September second. 1973, at the age of 81, in Bournemouth, England. Uh, his his life story is legendary, and and as as many anecdotes could be told about uh, the man him, himself uh, to to fill a novel the size of the Lord of the Rings. And I'm surprised a motion picture about his life has not yet been made. But uh, that's that's the sad universe that we live in. Hmm. Right. So tonight is part one of our discussion of The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. 
uh, and I've I've broken the, the the Hobbit into 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 three parts, uh, much like uh, Peter Jackson did. Uh, and and I've paired each portion of our discussion with with a a different writing by by Tolkien. Uh, just, just to sort of, of compare and, and and contrast and and add add a little bit of, of, of nuance to our discussion because I mean these these stories have been discussed on many many podcasts and in in many forums by people far more qualified than certainly myself. So I just I just wanted to do something a little bit different. So before we start talking about the Hobbit. Let's talk a little bit about this short story, um, Rover Random. I I first encountered Rover Random uh, in in the library at my community college. It was it was actually the the annotated Rover Rover Random, uh, and and I I own it in a in a in a very excellent collection which I recommend any Tolkien fan purchase, Tales from the Perilous Realm. Uh, it it contains many of Tolkien's non Middle Earth short stories, and they they are excellent. Uh, Rover Random was originally a story that was that was told uh, orally uh, to J.R.R. Tolkien's children, uh, specifically to his his son uh, Michael, after after they were uh, va- vacationing and Michael lost a small toy dog on 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 the beach. Tolkien made up this s- story to. Uh, cheer, cheer his his son up. It was it was written down in 1927. Uh, it was it was submitted for publication to George Allen and Unwin in uh, 1936, but it was it was never published during uh, Tolkien's lifetime. It was it was eventually saw print in 1998. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my my guests and and my my co-host is is this is this your first time reading this story? Let's start with you, Jeff. It is definitely my first time uh, reading this story. I'd never heard of Roverandom. Um, I've read some of Tolkien's other non-Middle Earth stuff, Farmer Giles and um, mm-hmm. Leaf by Niggle, but I'd never never read Roverandom, and I I don't, to be honest, I don't feel like I missed a whole lot. Uh, although, if I had come across it when I was you know, a small child, I probably mm-hmm. would have loved it as much as I'm sure Michael Tolkien did. I, I happen to love Rover Random. It has a special place in my in my heart. Uh, Lewis, what 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 about you? Is this, is this your is this, is this your first time reading uh, this this tale? Yeah, I uh, I grew up reading. I mean, Tolkien's works are like the the background of my childhood. Essentially, they are just so prevalent in my young reading life. Mm-hmm. And I had not read this one. I'd heard the name of it before. Uh, I grew up with Smith of Wooden Major on my mm-hmm. shelf mm-hmm. as well. But uh, I had not read Rover Random until we discussed doing it for this podcast. And and Peter, are are you the are you you the same? Yeah, actually, in, until uh, the email came around about this, I had actually never even heard of Rover Random. So. Well then, then I have I have done the world a a service. I think absolutely. Um, I, I I I have to to confess that uh, I I didn't I didn't actually make it all the way through the reading this this time around. I just work got really crazy, and and I and I couldn't finish it. But I I have read it two two times times before, and I I, I was able to get through through my favorite part, which is which is the part that takes place on on the moon. 
Um, so just just to very quickly uh, summarize, uh, the the story is about a a real dog named Rover who runs afoul of a wizard named uh, Artaxerxes, and this this all takes place in in what was to Tolkien uh, modern modern times. Uh, Artaxerxes first turns the real dog into a little uh, toy dog, and then a different uh, wizard turns the little toy dog into a living fairy toy dog, uh, and then he goes to the moon where he, 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 he gets wings, and then he has a whole bunch of other a- adventures, including going uh, un- under the sea uh, before, before finally being restored to his uh, normal self and being uh, re- reunited with the uh, little, l- little boy that was, that was ta- taking, taking care of him. So I mean, right, right here. I mean, this this was this was written uh, about five five years before Tolkien finished writing the first manuscript for the Hobbit, and and we can we can see uh, many many things in in here that that later show up in the Hobbit. We we see wizards. We see we see uh, dragons. Uh, we we see the man 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 in. In the moon was a was was a favorite motif in in Tolkien's poetry. Uh, certainly, you know if 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 you remember the the man in the moon came came down too soon. The 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 poem that Frodo uh, re- recites at 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 Bree, uh, and, and then and then um, you know other other poems that that have shown up in in the ad- Adventures of Tom Tom Bombadil. So I'll, I'm I'm just gonna gonna. gonna Gonna ask? Did did anybody have a have a favorite part of this of this book? Anything that that stood out? Oh, I yeah. thought I thought the undersea stuff was uh, a lot of fun. Different from what I was expecting the uh, the story to be doing at that point was for it to suddenly become a political satire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I remember from the um, from from the annotated uh, edition that that a lot of this story is is uh satire and uh in in jokes and i mean you, you can you, you can almost tell it was it was never really meant for publication it 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 really really came came out of out of out of out of a private story in the in the in the tolkien family i mean the, yeah the, definitely the the whole thing with uh samathos samathides the samatist uh, is I, I believe is a dig at at a professional Colleague who who in, in, insisted on pronouncing the silent p's in 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 <laughs> words and um, psalms, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you're 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 supposed to expel air through your through your nose when you when you say it. So it's samathos samathides. Hmm. That's I guess. funny. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated the underwater bits if for a reason I wasn't expecting in that. It, it was this weird mix of man. He's actually thought about how some of this would work, just in the sense of the physics of that world. I mean, there's there's no stairways in their homes, for example, mm-hmm. or uh, windows and doors are approximately the same thing. And uh, and sometimes sharks swim right in the middle of your meal time and things like that. I thought that was very clever. While simultaneously, he didn't really get into how. Uh, how people can drink liquids from cups while they're in an underwater environment, or, or how that would work. See, I liked I liked all the parts that took place on 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 
on the moon. And and ever ever since reading this this tale, I've I've wanted to make the moon a place to adventure in a in a in a D and D game. I've I've just never gotten the chance. I mean, all the all the miniature animals and and uh, the you know the 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 man in in the moon says he's he's got a color scheme going and if you if you mess up his color scheme he gets real mad and like like all all his spells are in are in bottles like i i, I just thought that was a was a curious detail so yeah yeah and you can see in this story the uh i because i i wasn't aware of what the timeline of writing this story was relative to the the Middle Earth stories, but mm -hmm. you can see just little snippets of his thought line. Like, for example, obviously and clearly, all wizards smoke pipes, which is correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. e even the ones that live underwater blow bubbles with their pipes. And uh, that's just like a law of the Tolkien world. And, what uh, would be the point of being a wizard otherwise? Yeah, that's yeah. you become a wizard so you can smoke a pipe, right? <laughs> that's what you do it for. And, uh, and then also, the fact that the wizards all know each other in like a little micro society mm -hmm. not unlike the middle earth or yeah the middle earth setting mm -hmm. where there's there's not a whole lot of them and they're all familiar with one another yeah i i, I always saw the wizards both both here and in middle middle earth as a sort of sort of an an, an analog of tolkien's pr professional life and and his pr pr professional re re relationships i mean they they really do be behave like very very old serious opinionated scholars who will who will argue about anything and are, are very self-important and 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 grandiose okay so that's that's rover rover random there's 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 not a whole lot to, to say about it i think it's a it's a brilliant story and I'll, I'll repeat again that if you if you haven't read it you 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 really should does, does anyone have any any final thoughts before we before we delve into to our discussion of the main course, which is the Hobbit, it's absolutely. It's, Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say it's a very cute story. I'm sure I would have loved it if I'd read it when I was in like third grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say I was. I found the story very charming, and uh, actually, when I when we finish recording this tonight, I intend to take this book down and put it in my eleven year old's hands and uh, let her take it for a spin. Because yeah, I, I just found it a charming little cute story. But a neat little thing where you can also see little snippets of how he's thinking about his his imaginary world, and I think that's great. I, I, and I, I think, think oh, no, go sorry, Jeff. Go, oh, go I, ahead, I really ahead, enjoyed Peter. the uh, the light side, dark side of the moon dichotomy that he had going. Where on like the dark side of the moon, the sky is white, for mm -hmm. instance. As opposed, I just thought there was something about that that was incredibly cool, like and, just and a he, unique idea. He, it implies that that the dark side of the moon is is the place where where children go when they when when they dream. And that's, well, at, at least some children go there some of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's 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 that's, that's a theme that 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 also appeared in in Tolkien's early drafts of of the Silmarillion that that never made it to the to the to the final version that that the the elven country what what later became Valinor was where you went when you when you dreamed so i dreams were 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 a very very big big theme for tolkien in the in those days and i i think i think that's the 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 sort of fairy tale aspects of stories are 
are are things that that could very well find their way in into a a D and D world, uh, you know, a just just a a world where. Um, you know, someone is responsible for making sure the sun comes up and and the moon goes down and and weather and and things like like that. Uh, you know, my my mind goes to uh, my my little pony friendship is 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 magic, where you you see that 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 the ponies actually make make the weather. They're they're responsible for like for like the rain and things. Mm-hmm. And so like like that that's a thing that you could bake into your fantasy world even even a more serious fantasy world you know some something like the the atmosphere uh machine on on mars in in the john carter stories what what if if there was a a mountain temple somewhere in your in your fantasy world that was just responsible for making sure that you know astrological events happened on on time and you know crops got enough rain and 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 things like like that, I mean, that could that could make for some very interesting stories. You'd you'd have you'd have kingdoms trying to bribe these monks to make sure that they got enough rain, or or they could predict you know e- eclipses for them, or or things things think things like like that. So I think I think that's um, some some good in, inspiration there. All right, so The Hobbit, wow, The Hobbit. What what can we say about The Hobbit that hasn't been said already that's, i mean that seems like a fair question i mean i think that it's a safe assumption that anybody who is listening to this has already read the hobbit mm-hmm. i don't think that we need to go over the go over the plot um if nothing else uh you can you can watch the movie if uh, for some reason you you are incapable of of reading and you need need the uh, the visual or audio, are, are you speaking of the the animated film or the the live action uh, film? I was thinking of the animated film, but that's true. There's also mm-hmm. live action films. There's an embarrassment of riches. The <laughs> the, the animated film by uh, the Rankin Bass Studio, which also created Thundercats. I did not know that. Yeah, I also didn't know that. That makes me like this that film a lot more. Even it makes me like Thundercats a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we're talking about chapters one through six. So we're 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 talking from from the beginning of the the story up through uh, out of the frying pan in, into the fire, which is which is the chapter where they get rescued by the eagles. I mean, let's let's start with our hero, Bilbo Baggins. I mean, up up until this point, we've we, we I mean, we've been reading a lot of sword and sorcery, and other than other than uh, Dunsany and uh, Love Lovecraft, we we haven't really strayed from sword sword and sorcery. And 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 this this is 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 not not only is this not sword and sword and sorcery. This is this is 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 a tale written for a younger younger audience. And I mean, Bilbo, Bilbo is, is, is like, like you said, about as, as far from Conan as you, you can get. He's, he's fat, he's uh, lazy. Um, what, I mean, one, one thing that, that I've always, you know, marveled at, and, which, which is, you know, Tolkien's world is so richly detailed in, in so many places. And yet, and yet, um, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins' home, hometown 
see you know seems like 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 almost a sketch right i mean we're 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 told he lives in a in, in a very nice house on a on a hill that that was built by his his parents and before we we meet him that's that that's about it like we never find out where where did all his money come from what what does he do for income what does he do all day besides eat and clean his giant house yeah yeah he seems like he's in to make a modern connection there like he's like a landed gentleman mm-hmm. you know he's he's the he's a lord of a manor who doesn't actually have to work so much as just manage his affairs there must be some system going on in the background that we don't know about that makes his world work yeah i i, I always presume that like the the other people that lived on on the hill like like the gamgees paid him rent or 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 something cuz but but we're 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 never told that i mean mm. we, he just yeah i think that's the most likely uh conclusion to draw it's it's interesting though that you say that the like the society of the hobbits is really lightly sketched in because in a sense that's certainly true we don't get a whole lot of information about hobbiton or the hobbits and Bilbo is simultaneously a very typical hobbit and a very unusual hobbit, as mm-hmm. the story points out over and over again. Um, but if you look at, like, to, to tie this in directly to Dungeons & Dragons, if you look at you know Dungeons & Dragons, you have uh, humans, elves, dwarves, and halflings as your, your basic uh, Dungeons & Dragons races. Mm-hmm. And certainly the elves and the dwarves and the halflings kind of all come from Middle-earth, but the dwarves are also the dwarves from Snow White and the dwarves from uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle. And the elves are also the elves from, like, Spencer. But hobbits come just from Middle-earth, and they come, they come just out of Bilbo, basically. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many characters can you say that about that they gave rise to an entire archetype within Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, right. Bilbo, and maybe you could say that about uh, Merlin. Mm-hmm. And I've, 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 I've heard it said that that Gygax himself was really not a big fan of of Tolkien, and he he just put the Middle Earthy stuff in Dungeons and Dragons because it was it was popular, and 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 he he thought it would it would help it sell. But I ironically, I think I think Tolkien out of out of all of the authors on Appendix N is is the the single most influential person on on the the entire body of Dungeons and and Dragons. I mean the the you know forming a party, you know different races working together, having random encounters along the road, finding finding treasure, ex- exploring dungeons. I mean Moria is basically the 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 uh, arch typical dungeon, even even though we were we were finding dungeons in in, in other stuff all, all the way back to back to John John Carter, I mean and 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 to me as a as a child, you know or well a a teenager coming coming in into D and was I was unaware really of 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 all the sword and sorcery influences, and that's that's something I became aware of. Later and started making those those connections, but sword sword and sorcery, sorcery you know, even 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 the excellent stuff by by Howard, you know that 
that was built up by by multiple multiple people whereas whereas Tolkien is is basically almost a genre into and of him himself and sure. Tolkien is the one that you're familiar with, uh, like in addition to Dungeons and Dragons, separate from Dungeons and Dragons. It mm-hmm. may well be the case that Tolkien is like you know number eleven or twelve on the list of authors who influenced the creation of Dungeons and Dragons, but he's heads and shoulders uh, number one, far and away above anybody else in terms of the author that people were familiar with when they picked up Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, everybody's perception of Dungeons and Dragons comes through the Tolkien lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, I think it's a fair question to ask: Does Dungeons and Dragons exist without Tolkien happening now? And what I mean by that is, I think Gary Gygax would have still made it because Tolkien was not his primary influencer. But simultaneously, who would have bought it? You know, you, was there you, a cultural right. hunger for it at that time? Mm-hmm. I mean, if there if there if there was no Tolkien. The the fantasy genre would would still be you know basically Robert E. E. Howard and and Michael Moorcock and that that style of of story. If you if you if you look at Gygax's own world, Greyhawk, I mean that's that's very much you know high high boring age style fantasy, as as opposed to Tolkien style fantasy. So the impression that I've gotten, and I'm not a really a scholar of this, so I could be completely mistaking something, is that Dungeons and Dragons sort of inhabited a a flowering of fantasy in the 1970s. That it was suddenly something that a lot of it was getting written, a lot of it was getting published. There were elves being put on the sides of people's vans, and Led Zeppelin was writing songs about hobbits. And all of that came from people who read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings when they were first published, like as kids, Mm -hmm. getting a little bit older and producing their own arts in reaction to it. So even in the – if if you're trying to imagine a 20th century that doesn't have Tolkien in it, I don't know that it would have Dungeons and Dragons in it at all. Just because the context of Dungeons and Dragons is so steeped in Tolkien, mm-hmm. yes, especially as the as the corpus of Dungeons Dragons moves on. When I think about stuff from the first edition, or even BX, or I guess not BX, but like um, Holmes Basic and that kind of stuff, um, there's this definite feel where it defi- it lends a lot more towards the old pulp stuff. It's it's like Jeff was saying about how Greyhawk seems much more Hyborian Age style in its fantasy. Whereas there's this process of Tolkienification that goes on through the late 80s and especially like in Dungeons and Dragons 2nd edition onward. That I think that the influence of Tolkien seems far more pronounced. Well, I feel like there's this question that is really just begging to be asked if you look at the fantasy that we've looked at up to this point in Appendix N, which is why does Dungeons and Dragons not have hovercrafts and ray guns and robots and spaceships? And because, you know, pretty much all of those things or some version of them existed in in the bulk of these sword and sorcery type settings um, and the things that were were main influences. And there is none of that in Tolkien. And that's, I think, why there's none of that in Dungeons and Dragons uh, or hardly at all. That that and um, uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. In my opinion, that's the module that finally draws a very fine line that this is sci-fi and it exists kind of outside of Dungeons and Dragons. Because before that, you had at least some, a lot of the modules had at least some 
you know, sprinkling of science fiction elements, kind of like the pulps. But there's something about uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks where it just establishes this very fine line of right. It's this. this it's this roping off of fantasy from science fiction. And right. I think that that's a, that definition is fantasy is what Tolkien was doing. Science fiction is all the stuff that Tolkien wasn't doing. Hmm. I could see that, yeah. Okay, so the question that, that's on my mind as we're talking about this, because, again, we've, we, I think we all agree that um, Gygax wasn't a big Tolkien fan. In fact, I'm reading, I just read something recently where he called the, his stories kind of boring, in fact, kind of lacking in action. And, uh, and clearly... Yeah, he's he's more influenced by Conan and that kind of stuff. Conan definitely so, has more action. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, we gut people every page, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so did the Tolkienization of Dungeons and Dragons? Was that brought by the audience to it, or was it brought by some of the early non Gygax writers? How do we talk about that? I think I think uh, Dragonlance was was an attempt to make Dungeons and Dragons more Tolkien esque. I think Dragon Dragonlance hit. Uh, but before Forgotten Realms did, I think that was that was an 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 effort to make campaign settings more more epic and and focused on these 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 grand uh, epic arcs following you know a, a a small group of group of characters. Um, I don't know. Does 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 anyone else have have any any insight? I think that there there might be this kind of like, you know, in the 60s, it seemed like that's when The Hobbit, in the, at least in the United States, started really kind of coming into its own, that and like Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. a little bit more as far as like uh, uh, the readership growing. Yeah, I know. And I so, know there, there was like a like like a whole issue where someone published like bootleg copies in the in the U.S. and Tolkien had to had to very quickly get get legitimate copies into into circulation. And like like that was a whole thing. Right, and it all comes down like to what the cover looked like. Like there was like a giraffe or something on like the bootleg copies or something like that. To the to the to the point that like even even the uh, National Lampoon uh, Board of the Rings spoofed that that whole thing on the on the back cover by by having like like a paragraph of how this is a legitimate copy of National Lampoon's Board of the Rings. This is not a not a not a, not a bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I but to get back to the thing, um. I, and so I think that if you have this generation of people in the 60s that are in their childhood reading The Hobbit, then mm-hmm. it makes sense when they're adults in the 80s. Then then you're going to start getting the stuff like the Hick, like you guys talked about with the Hickmans with the uh, Dragonlance and stuff like that. Then I think that that's sort of natural when you look at that first generation of like war gamers going into um, into Dungeons and Dragons in the early 70s, like with the Brown books and everything. I, I wonder how many of them really read a lot of Tolkien as opposed to the older pulp stuff just because of exposure or whatever, or maybe they didn't read it, you know, in their childhood and therefore have that same sort of, uh, you know, nostalgia for Mm -hmm. that kind of high fantasy setting. I feel, I feel like that's a question that, that, that could be answered by research and I don't, I don't really do that. (laughs) Well, it's, it's hard to look back at that cultural moment and, uh, say with any kind of certainty what was actually going mm-hmm. through anybody's anybody in particular's head at the time uh, because even when they're when you're looking back on it after the fact you're kind of ascribing a narrative to it um, that you're sort of inventing as you go along you know saying I was in, I was I was influenced by this I was not influenced by this um, 
that's that's a it's a difficult game to play. Yeah. Now, different question: how do how how does Ed Greenwood talk about Tolkien? I wonder. I don't. I'm saying I don't know. But Realms came out what late '80s. He started. Supposedly, he started working on the realms when he was a kid in like the '60s, and right. mm-hmm. it yeah. didn't actually see print yeah. by TSR until uh, like '87. Although there were Dragon Magazine articles before that, I think. Well, if if right. Jeff Greiner, host of the Tome Show, is listening, he's he's close personal friends with Ed Greenwood, and if Ed Greenwood would like to come on the Appendix and podcast and give his own opinion on J.R.R. Tolkien, we would we would love to have him. Even if we're not doing a Tolkien episode, in fact, we will create a whole new episode just for Ed Greenwood to come on our podcast and air his his opinions, if he so chooses. Absolutely. We'll pull over the entire bus for that. Because <laughs> Ed, Ed Greenwood really needs a platform to spread his ideas. I know he's been, been trying to find some way to get that out. Yeah, we got to give that guy some exposure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So let's... Let's 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 get back to our our discussion of the s- story because I I really feel like I don't I don't know that much about about the cultural and 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 his historical ramifications yeah. of 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 the blah I can't talk tonight I I, I don't know that much about about the his, his historical and cultural cultural ramifications of the Hobbit but I I know what I like and I know how it it affected me. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to start with with Lewis. Uh, in 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 these first six chapters, what 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 is your is your favorite part that you would like to, to talk about tonight? Oh man, um, the very man that is the easy slam dunk answer for me right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I was a very young child, I have a memory of my my birth father. I was adopted, but my birth father was taking me someplace one night, and I was riding in his van. It was a cold, dark winter night. And he had his radio on some public access channel, and there was a dramatization of The Hobbit oh, on wow. the radio. And I've got this scene burned in my brain. That was my first exposure to Riddles in the Dark, was as a young child hearing Gollum's voice and Bilbo's voice riddling back and forth in that cave. And, man, that is that is like burned on my soul. I'm now, did you, did you ever try, try to find out what... What what production that that was? Because I think there 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 have been been at least two BBC produced radio dramas of of The Hobbit. Yeah, you know I've never tracked it down, and I really need to because even just talking about it right now gave me goosebumps. I was <laughs> just describing it. So yeah, that's the that's a super super vivid burned into my brain image that I just really love. Yeah, there was one that I had as a kid that came on six cassette tapes, and I actually wore those tapes out and had to get another set of six tapes listening to the the dramatization of the hobbit wow nice i had i had the hitchhiker's guide to to the galaxy on on cassette tape but not not the hobbit um so i so for for this for this uh podcast i i I don't know if if i mentioned it after we we started we we started uh recording uh i purchased uh the history of the hobbit by john d ratliff uh, and and he's uh Mr. Mr. Ratliff is is actually an, an interesting person in and of his his own right. I, I I looked him him up, and he he actually worked on the Dungeons and Dragons third edition books, and lots of other role role playing games, uh, and he's he's also like a legitimate uh, literary scholar. 
So, uh, and this this man wrote an an amazing 900-page book, uh, where he he uh, he he basically does for the Hobbit what Christopher Tolkien did for the Silmarillion and the, the Lord of the Rings in his history of Middle Earth series. He just he just he just lays out uh, the the history of how this this book came came to be with with lots of well-researched uh, you know notes on on the text and and uh, essays into into all of all of the little little bits and bits and pieces so he he goes into exceptional detail on all of the riddles and uh, some of them Tolkien made made up but but a, a lot of them are his his historical and and Tolkien just wrote wrote, wrote the words. Mm. So it is it is an amazing read. That sounds like an awesome resource. Yeah, returning to that question, um, yeah, to that that's the that's not only my favorite chapter. I think it's the strongest chapter in the entire Hobbit story because it introduces Gollum, who is, in my mm-hmm. opinion, the best character in all of the Lord of the Rings stories. Now, he is now the best. who here knows that when The Hobbit was originally published, this chapter was, was different? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I was aware of that. I had no idea. If, if you have a first or a second edition printing of the the hobbit this this chapter goes very differently and you can you 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 can find how it originally went if you if you read the manuscript version in the history of of the hobbit gollum was originally a lot less scary he he promised to give bilbo a present if he won the riddle riddle contest and when Bilbo wins the contest, Gollum is not able to find his presence. So Gollum agrees very amiably to guide Bilbo out of the mountains. And he's, he's, he's very sorry. He's, he's very, very apologetic. And that's the last we, we hear of it. And when Tolkien was, rewrite, was, was writing The Lord of, of the Rings and decided that the ring was to have a more important story and, and actually change the nature of of the ring he went back and rewrote this 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 chapter to make Gollum more more sinister and 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 make make the ring more 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 sinister wow i didn't know that that's fantastic Mm -hmm. so the the original story kind of survives in the version of the story that bilbo tells the dwarves Mm -hmm. when he tells them that he was given the uh given the ring yeah so much, much like uh, George Lucas, uh, Tolkien was was constantly revising his his own his own stuff. Uh, Mr. Mr. Ratliff mentions that um, after after publishing the Lord of, of the Rings, one one of Tolkien's ideas was to go back and rewrite the the entire Hobbit in in the style and 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 tone of of of, of the Lord of the Rings, and he 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 he, he never got very very, very far. But I mean, it, it, it brings up an, an interesting point when we're d- discussing canon, because I mean, Tolkien Tolkien fans are, I, I think one of one of the most um, as a as a as a fandom, we're 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 one of one of the most uh, loudest opinionated people when it when it 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 comes 
comes to fandom, I mean, I'm um, sorry, not not fandom, uh, canon. When it when it comes 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 come, blah, I can't talk. When it comes to canon, see that's that's how excited I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as you as you research more more into this, you, you find out that that Tolkien himself constantly changed his opinions about about stuff. Um, I mean, even 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 the Blue Wizards, which are are to, are to me like the most in, intriguing mystery in in all of all of Middle Earth. I mean, he 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 went back and forth on them all all the time. Huh. So. It's it's really very 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 interesting at least at least to me. So, like as 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 a result of like of like reading uh, you know the the stuff that's come out by by Christopher Tolkien and this and this John John Ratliff book, I'm I'm much less serious about about canon when it when it it, it comes comes to Tolkien stuff to the point that I don't I don't mind that folks like like Peter Jackson want to want to change things as, as as long as it serves serves the story. Now, I I think some of Mr. Jackson's decisions were a bit questionable in that they they did not make make a good movie, but yeah, well you have you you have to make some changes going from book to screen, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly, right. Yeah, that's unavoidable, and as long as his tinkering never took him to the to the Greedo shoots first scenario, I'm okay. He can do it. Well, yeah, and and, and it's 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 worth it's worth mentioning that Tolkien. Abandoned some of some of his his bad ideas before they 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 saw publication. Whereas uh, Lucas and and Mister Mister Jackson um, did. For did, all we know, right. the first draft of of uh, episode one was was even worse. <laughs> wow! Yeah, let's give him let's give him some credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's I I. Apparently, when Tolkien was was writing the Lord of the Rings, he he had the idea that in 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 Bree, um, Frodo was was going to meet Bilbo in disguise as a human, and in 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 order to enact this disguise, he would walk around on on stilts, and the stilts would would make this this clop clop noise. So people called him Clopper, and and that was how Strider came into in, into being. He he was originally going to be Bilbo in disguise walking on stilts and Tolkien eventually went, no, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well that's that's good. Good good move on on uh, JRR there to, to pull the plug. Okay. Peter. Yes. You haven't talked much. Of of these of these six chapters, what is what is your favorite part? Um, I go back to I want to say it's in chapter three, um, where Elrond identifies uh, Glamdring and Orcrist for them. I really like that, especially from like a D and D perspective of like you know having to take it to a wise, having to take this item that you found to a wise sage, and then being able to tell you its backstory. I really enjoyed that. For me, uh, we were talking earlier about you know people see D and D through the guise of Tolkien. For me, it was the other way around. My fifth grade teacher. Um, cause I wasn't a big reader at that point, uh, asked me what I was into. And I said, Dungeons and Dragons. And she was like, well, do you read the Hobbit or like Lord of the Rings? And no, she's like, well, that's dumb. And so <laughs> she, and so she told me to read those. Um, and so that's what I was thinking the whole time. It's like the thing with the, when they find the treasure with the trolls and then they go and 
you know, they get it identified. I was like, wow, this is I, I've, I've done this in game. This is something that I've done. And so that has always been a really a part of the story that's really stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And this 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 is and and, and this would be uh, readers first published uh, in introduction to Tolkien's elves, which are, you know, one of one of his his most I, iconic uh, contributions to 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 the fan, to the fantasy eh, to the fantasy genre because because before this elves were either little green men who, who who made shoes or they were they were the scary elves from from you know uh, f- uh, folklore who would who would you know whisk whisk you away to, to to fairyland and turn you to stone and things 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 like that uh, but. Uh, even even the the elves in this chapter are are much different from how they later appeared in in the Lord of the Rings and 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 the Silmarillion. I mean these are these are silly elves. I mean they 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 sing songs like one of one of my favorite poems. Oh oh where are you going? And your ponies need chewing. The river is flowing. Oh tra la la lally here here down in the in in the valley. Tra la la lally. Oh, where are you going with beards all a wagging? No knowing, no knowing what brings Mr. Baggins and Balin and Dwalin down in the valley in June. Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that part. <laughs> I want to I was, believe they did it exactly like that, Jeff. Good job. <laughs> yeah, that was terrific. See, I was, I was one of those people, when, when, when I first read The Hobbit and the, the Lord of the Rings as, as a kid, I skipped over all the poems and songs. I thought, my God, these are, these are so boring. Mm-hmm. But the, but now that now they're they're like my 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 favorite part. I I I love his 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 verse and and his and his 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 wordplay. You know now that now that I'm I'm older, I can I can I can appreciate that stuff. Oh yeah, and Jeff, can I jump in there right right there and say, honestly, probably my two favorite parts from all of the the whole Lord of the Rings movie series, all six movies, mm-hmm. were the two times you hear them singing songs that are from the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, when, when they did the first trailer for the first Hobbit movie and the dwarves are sitting around the fire singing the, the, uh, the Lonely Mountain song. Mm-hmm. Far man. over the misty mountains cold, oh, the dungeons dude, yeah. deep and caverns old, we must away till break of day to seek the pale enchanted gold. Yeah, dude. Man, I must have rewound that thing on YouTube 80 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, just, yeah. it stirred my heart so much. It was fantastic. I think I think think the the other time you're referring to is is in uh, the 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 two towers when they when they when the um, Theoden recites recites uh, where where is the horse and the and the rider. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that one. I was thinking of of Bilbo walking down the street away from his house singing mm-hmm. "The Road Goes Ever On." Mm-hmm. Is what I was thinking. I forgot about that one. So yeah, there's another one. Mm-hmm. And then if if you purchase the extended edition of of The Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey, you can you can hear. Um, Pfeiffer, for some reason, singing uh, "The Man in the Moon went went down too too soon" from the Lord of the Rings, but whatever. Well, they weren't able to work the Man in the Moon into the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, clearly. And as we discovered in uh, Rover Random, he's a character that is uh, important to Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely, and and he's he's important to me. I I I, I even try try to write a a module. Where um, you wake up in the Barrow Downs after spending a night in Bree drinking with the man in the moon, and you have to find all your stuff and escape from from from, from the from, from the from the Barrow Downs. Mm. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, before we move on from uh, from Rivendell and the Elves, I want to point out something that I think I got from Corey Olson in his book about um, Elrond and the scene where Elrond is reading the map. Mm-hmm. He just points out how incredibly implausible it is that the particular night that uh, that Elrond would be reading the map would be the correct one night of the year that the moon letters would appear, that he would happen to be standing someplace where the uh, the light of the moon would shine upon the map such that he could could actually see the moon letters. And Elrond is one of very few people in Middle-earth who's actually qualified to read moon letters. So it's incredibly contrived and unlikely that it would that it would happen like that. Um, much like it's kind, it's not really directions to a to a secret door to say that the uh, stand by the uh, stand by the gray stone when the thrush knocks. I mean, when the thrush knocks, that's that's magical prophecy. That's not that's not uh, directions to mm-hmm. find a find a door. And there's this level of, you know, portent and supernaturalism mm-hmm. that just hangs over the sequence in a way that I feel like I tried to copy many, many times in Dungeons and Dragons unsuccessfully. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to arrange things in Dungeons and Dragons like, like you can in a, in a story when, when, when you don't control all the characters, particularly the main characters, it's really hard to set things, things up. up yeah, like, there's, like a, there's a fine line between portentous and railroady. Yes. I mean, fate, right. fate plays, plays a big role in, in a lot of Tolkien's s- 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 stories. I mean, in, 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 the, in the Lord of, 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 of the Rings, Gandalf talks about how you know Frodo was was meant to f- find the ring. He was he was meant meant to have it, and you know by by you know powers greater greater than 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 him are 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 pushing all these characters along on their on their on their journey. Um, you know, I think I think I think that that fits in with uh, Tolkien's uh, Catholicism, which 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 finds its its way in, well, I mean, to a to a Jew, it's 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 very very subtle. I'm I'm sure to to a to a Catholic, it's 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 a bit more more o- overt. But yeah, oh, I mean, absolutely. To- yeah, it's a the the ring as a metaphor for sin, mm-hmm. and the 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 compulsion of sin is very clear. And you know, I know, to, I you know, I in my mind, Tolkien did not intend to set out and write an allegory. But it's just more that that's the mm-hmm. mindset he's coming from, and so he's writing out of his own worldview as a uh, as a believer in God, and so mm-hmm. he's got a very strong metaphor for for the consumption and the obsession and the the hidden destruction of mm-hmm. sin that ring, and it's awesome. It's and amazing. and and Tolkien would be would be very upset if you called his story an an allegory. He he that's he, right. He did not like allegories, and I think I think. Uh, I think we we will read his thoughts on allegories in in the essay on on fairy stories. I, I think that's that's in there somewhere. That's right. Yeah, but I I, I remember reading that um, when when Frodo and Sam and Gollum are are walking together in in Athelion, it's it's supposed to be a a reference to how 
uh, Christ on the cross had was 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 being crucified with 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 two thieves, and I I guess one thief was a nice thief who who listened to Christ, and one thief was not a nice thief who 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 didn't li- listen to Christ. I'm not I'm not familiar with that with that particular tale. That yeah. from, that seems from, like from a the stretch Bible. to connect that to uh, to Frodo and Sam and Gollum. Oh, that's. I mean, that that's what this one author of this book that I read for my essay in 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 high school thought. And if I if I could remember the name of the book, uh, I would I would I would bring bring it up here. But hmm. So in that metaphor, Frodo is the Christ figure. That's interesting. Well, I mean, Frodo is a Christ figure. He. Yeah. I mean, he. He 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 bears the ring, which is which is the symbol of 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 sin. He, I mean, and and in in the end of the story, he, I mean, he he doesn't die, but but he 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 journeys over over the sea, which is which is almost like the the ascension. Sure. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I can see that, especially and there's he's permanently wounded from mm-hmm. the experience, even though he survives it, which is another Christ-type metaphor yeah, where Christ that, bears the scars even right. post-crucifixion and resurrection. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not disputing that part. I'm just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that I would, would talk about the, uh, uh, what are they called? There's a phrase for them, the two thieves that you're talking about who were also being crucified. That, that particular line I wouldn't draw, but well, yeah. I'm not even familiar with that with that story from from the Bible because you know yeah. you, you you don't get much New Testament education in in Hebrew school, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet that's right. Yeah, yeah. you pretty well nailed the story though. Yeah, yeah, you got it pretty much right. Yeah, one... yeah, there's, there's there is not a whole lot to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. One thief, one thief mocks Christ, and the other thief converts. On the while he's hanging there is the story. Okay. Basically, yeah. uh, I mean, again, that that's just what one author thought, and I I don't remember who 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 it was or what the what the what the book was, but I I read it like fifteen years ago for for a high school book book report. So, mm. uh, anyway, so all right, uh, Jeff Wickstrom, what what is your favorite part of these six chapters? Well, I'm tempted to say that uh, you know Gollum and Elrond; uh, those are both some pretty pretty good parts. But since those have already been taken, I'm going to talk about the uh, the roast button chapter, the three trolls mm-hmm. and Bilbo sneaking up trying to pick. Um, I think William's pocket. Yes, the purse yep. crying out, um, him getting captured. Mm-hmm. The various dwarves coming up and each, you know, one by one getting captured, and then Gandalf coming and saving them through the power of ventriloquism, a first level spell. And 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 that actually <laughs> surprised me because as many times as as I've read the Hobbit, I I did not remember that that William's wallet actually talked when when Bilbo tried to pull it out of out of his pocket. And, 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 and that, that particular detail very much evokes the, the fairy tale nature of this in, entire, entire s- 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 story. I mean, I mean if, you, if you think about it, as, as someone who is very much interested in language, Tolkien, Tolkien fills this story in particular with, with things that talk. You know, animals talk, birds talk. You know, even 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 the mountain uh, uh, Karathras in in the Lord in, in the Lord of the Rings is is alive and is is able to c- communicate. So I mean, it's it's 
a, a very it, it's it's a it, it's a very interesting detail that that says a lot about about Tolkien. So can I say that this this chapter has my biggest gripe of any Tolkien thing ever, which is really? the name of the trolls. We're talking about a linguist. Like we're talking about a man that can come up with eight different names for every single geographic feature. Like when you start, I feel like when you start getting into the Silmarillion, everything has like 12 names and his names for his trolls are Tom, Bert and Bill. And it just, that has always upset me. Well, he was, he was, he was, he was basing them on English backcountry folk. He was doing it on purpose. That's the thing. I mean, it's not like it was beyond his power to, you know, come up with like Bork and Tad and, Trill, you know, if you were right. if we were making just fake fantasy names, um, he does that often enough with pretty much every single other character in the in the book. Um, so the fact that he calls Bert, Tom, and Bill Bert, Tom, and Bill, and, I think and- it's a, that's a deliberate choice, and I think that it's to because we're just sort of easing into the adventure at this point, mm-hmm. and he's writing for for a little kid, uh, you know, his hypoth- imaginary like version of his one of his kids, and uh, so he's trying to sort of ease into the the fantastic nature of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bert and Tom and Bill are are they're big monsters, but they're you know they're kind of funny and they're not really scary, even though they're talking about killing and eating uh, Bilbo and the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And this this story was actually written for and told to Tolkien's three three sons. I mean, the the story goes that um, some at, at some uh, summer in in the 1920s, Tolkien was uh, grading grading papers uh, to, to to earn a little a little extra extra income over 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 the summer va- va- vacation. And it was it was, and it was a it was it was a very boring task, and for for some reason that even he he himself could not recall years years later, on the back of a, of just one of these egg, egg, exam papers, he 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 wrote, in a hole in the ground lived 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 a hobbit, and uh, then he sort of spun the whole story out out of there. He he went and and made Thorns Thorns map, and uh, Mister Mr. Ratliff estimates. He, and and he, he he goes into great research on on this too. It's it's awesome that uh, Tolkien finished the first manuscript sometime in 1932, and he would he would he and his three sons would 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 gather around you know the the fireplace in their in their living room, and he he would read chapters to them as as he was he was he was he was writing them, and you can you can even even see like as you're reading this. To, to to yourself this this reads very much like something that that is meant to be read aloud yeah i mean it like the the author frequently makes makes references to to him himself and and his and his 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 audience and i mean if you if you if you have children and they're they are are of the age where they can they can sit and listen to a to a story I think I think you you and and they will, will will get more out of the Hobbit if you sit and read it to them. I mean, it 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 be, becomes like 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 a much different experience. Uh, <laughs> and and also, when when Tolkien was was writing this, he he didn't necessarily know at, at least at first 
that it was taking place in in the same world as his uh as 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 what would become the the book of lost lost tales or or what was at at the time called the the book of lost lost tales i mean it it wasn't even the silmarillion at this at that point i don't i don't think i mean what what later became the story of the silmarillion was the story of a a guy who discovers england a like a a a man who 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 sails from 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 from, from the european continent and just discovers this island it it's it, it's it's got a whole bunch of elves li- living on it and they invite him into a room that's very much like the Hall of Fire in Rivendell, and sit down and tell him the stories of Baron and Luthien and and Turin Turinbar and and the fall of Gondolin. I mean, that, I mean, that's that's what what he had at that at that point. And when when he did sort of decide that that this story was taking place in Middle Earth, he thought that it was it was taking place during, uh, you know, during the War of 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 the jewels it was it was and, and i think i think uh ratliff um con, con, concludes that that at least in in tolkien's mind this this was taking place sometime uh sometime after uh the story of baron and luthien but 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 before uh the the incident of 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 the Noglamir where 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 the dwarves sacked um whatever forest that that was uh Dor- Doriath. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, <laughs> I forgot what, what my original point was, but, that, but that's all very, 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 very interesting. Well, see, this yeah. is the problem when we're talking about Tolkien, because theoretically, this is the first of I don't know how many episodes of Appendix M that we're going to be talking about The Hobbit on, and in theory, we're only talking about the first six chapters of just The Hobbit. Um. So all of this discussion that we're doing about uh, the the long-term cultural impact of the War of the Ring and the Silmarillion and stuff, we're really front-loading this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we're going to be able to fill up that many additional episodes. Oh, don't worry, I got you covered. Oh, I, yeah. can, I, bet I can talk right. about Tolkien all day long. <laughs> the Tolkien verse is big, and Jeff knows all of it. So. I would question whether anybody wanted to listen to it, but you know that's not really a new problem when it comes to uh, comes to us talking about books. Right. <laughs> well, if if you get tired of listening to me talk about Tolkien, you can you can tell tell me me to shut up, and that'll I don't know. I, I guess I guess I'll just, <laughs> I'll just start talking about Tolkien myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can go to yeah. uh, you know you can find Tolkien fan fiction online. Did you know that? Oh yeah. <sighs> it just strikes me as wrong in some way. I can understand the like impulse behind Star Wars fan fiction or Star Trek fan fiction, but Lord of the Rings fan fiction just seems wrong. It'd be like writing fan fiction about the American Revolution. Well, there's there there's a there's a quote. Um, from from Tolkien him himself something about about other hands and and other other minds uh, that I mean Tol- Tolkien wanted other people to develop and and finish Middle Earth after he was he was gone uh, and and unfortunately I think it, it it fell into to the hands of of his son and 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 the and the Tolkien estate and. Even even though Christopher Tolkien has 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 done great work, and I'm I'm grateful to him, 
for for doing that that work. He's he's also kept a lot of it out of the hands of of the public, which you know I I think I think Tolkien's world should should belong to everyone, and and, and Christopher Tolkien seems seems to want to hoard it for him him himself in some ways, but that's that's another topic for another another mm-hmm. time. Lobby yeah. Congress, get them to change uh, copyright laws. Well, it's. <laughs> I mean, we're 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 dealing with with English co- with with international copyright laws. So I don't I don't think I don't think Congress can can, can do anything about about that. All right. Just, uh, this is a whole different subject. So <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I yeah. I mean, the part with with the trolls is is classic. I mean, it it gets retold in in. Uh, miniature in, in in the opening scene of the Fellowship of of, of the Ring uh, movie. Um, I I remember in 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 the cartoon uh, David 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 the gnome that 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 the trolls would turn to stone in sunlight, and I mean and and they would turn back again at 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 nighttime. Unlike unlike these trolls who are who are stone for forever. But I I have to think that 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 part must be in inspired by Tolkien. Actually, it goes a little bit further back. Tolkien was really influenced by Scandinavian mythology and mm-hmm. Scandinavian folklore, and the whole like trolls becoming stone thing. I think links to that. Uh, this is this is yet another thing that that uh, Mr. Ratliff goes into great detail in in the history of of the Hobbit, uh, and I th- I think he eventually comes to to the con- to the to 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 the to the, to the conclusion. That this is something that Tolkien mostly in, in invented. Um, I mean, trolls have been part of folklore for a long time, and and things turning into stone have been part of folklore for for a long time. But as far as as Ratliff could could conclude, trolls turning into stone in sunlight was was not a thing that that, that had been in folklore before. Um, I, I wish I wish I could I, I could remember that uh, what what he, he he concluded. But go out and buy the the history of 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 the Hobbit, and you can you you can read for for yourself. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and, and and the trolls also have have a horde, which is you know it's. I mean, you it's 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 the perfect uh, random random in, encounter on. On the road, you you meet some monsters, you you defeat them, and nearby they they have they have some 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 treasure. Stupid, useless, useless treasure. <laughs> <laughs> they look at it and then they bury it because what else are you going to do with it? And, and if you if you if you look at at the structure of these first six chapters, I mean it's 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 all a journey, and and each one of these chapters in, introduces us to. One or more creatures that in inhabit Tolkien's world. I mean, chapter one is all about dwarves. Chapter two is all about the trolls. Chapter three, elves. Chapter four, goblins. Chapter five, Gollum. Chapter six, we we get we get talking wolves and and talking talking eagles, which are which are, I mean, they're they're kind of like two sides of the of the same same coin. You know, wolves, wolves, and eagles both show up again and again in Tolkien's Legendarium, and and wolves are heavily employed by the agents of, of evil. Uh, most, well, at, I mean, at at this time they were, in in, in, in Tolkien's mind, they were associ- associated with um, to the necromancer, uh, 
who would eventually become Sauron, Lord Lord of Werewolves, and and eagles were associated with uh, Manwe Sulamo, uh, Lord 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 of 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 the Valar. Hmm. And and of course they they talk because um, the the elves woke up woke up all the creatures and 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 taught taught them to speak because they they want, wanted to talk to everything. Yeah, that's right. the trees and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, well, there's just there's a lot of classic D and D adventure party type stuff going on here, and I just love it. You know, I as a as a, a long experienced dungeon master of my age, I, I enjoy going back and reading this book and seeing. Okay, there's the assembling of the party. There's the quest giver. There's the DM having to bail the party out because they're in danger of a TPK. You know, there's, you know, there's a there's the, the party info dump NPC. That's right. Yeah, and there's there's the the party realizing they're not diverse enough and they need a more diverse party, so they recruit a rogue. You know, just all that good stuff. Can it's we fantastic. can we can we talk about Gandalf? Can we? <laughs> I'm, that's not entirely a facetious question. I'm so, not. Sh- that we can usefully talk about Gandalf. <laughs> well, I can I can uselessly talk about Gandalf. Did, did you did you know that in the original draft, the the character Thorin Oakenshield was named Gandalf, and the character that would become Gandalf was named Bladorthin. I did know that. Yes. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Bladorthin, you say? Yes. <laughs> Another good editorial choice by Tolkien there to go a different direction. <laughs> most most of the dwarves' names come from a particular Norse saga, the name of which escapes me at the moment. Um, it comes th- from the uh, prose edda. I think I think Gandalf's name roughly translates to uh, wand elf. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe mean, that's correct. Right. Other other than Merlin, I mean, is there a more iconic wizard in literature anywhere? Oh no, absolutely not. He's he's the king daddy, man. He's a he is the creator of all problems and the solver of about nine tenths of them. <laughs> but there are so world. many differences between Gandalf the Grey or Gandalf the White and a Dungeons and Dragons magic user. Mm-hmm. Well. Yes. We'll 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 get to Jack Vance eventually. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope we do, man. It's sort of like the opposite of Tolkien, in some ways. I've I've never read Jack Vance, and I'm I'm very eager eager to get to him to find out how Vanceian casting actually works in literature. Because it I, is yeah. it is like ten thousand times as good as you expect it to be. <laughs> it's actually like surprisingly well explained. Yeah, no, it's Jack Vance was a was a genius. Uh, okay, well, yeah. we'll, I mean, we'll get to it's, him. It's foolish of me, perhaps, to start praising Jack Vance in an episode of Appendix N dedicated to J.R.R. Tolkien, but that's just how awesome Jack Vance was. I, I'm sure he is, and I, I can't wait to wait to wait to get to him. I think, I mean, the 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 I mean the. The whole opening sequence of this of this book, from from in a hole in the ground, there there lived li- lived a hobbit, to where Gandalf shows up and and we we, we get the whole good morning co- conversation. You know what what do you mean? Do you wish me a good morning, or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not, or that you feel right. good on this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on? 
it's the natural impulse at that point is just to get up and go inside. <laughs> which, which is which what Bilbo <laughs> wants to do clearly. That's right. But, but he's he's far <laughs> too polite and 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 English. And I mean, of of all the scenes that 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 made it into to the movie, I mean, I think I think this one was made 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 the best tra- transition from 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 uh, page page to film. I mean, it's. I mean, Tolkien. Tolkien is 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 just just real, really good at at word at at, at 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 this this whole word stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that may not be the most profound quote from our appendix in history. Tolkien is good at word stuff. <laughs> he's he's so good. He leaves me speechless. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So what else do we say about Gandalf? He's obviously not a typical D&D magic user. His his magic is completely inherent to himself and he kind of uses it and doesn't use it at all these strange moments. Like structurally he's kind of an archetypal GM PC. Mm-hmm. Right? He's mm-hmm. not really part of the party except he shows up and he kind of shoves uh shoves the plot forward. Yeah, when he when he uh, sees things are getting bogged down, right, right. Now, do we dare call him MacGuffin the Gray, or is that taking it too far? I mean, he's 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 not even Gandalf the Gray at this at this point. I mean, when 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 Tolkien was was writing this, he didn't he didn't know anything about the the Istari. He had not invented uh, Saruman. Radagast show, shows up. Uh, much you know, in the in the Bayorn chapter, but we're not we're not talking <coughs> about I thought about that I could easily be mistaken, but I thought that at some point in the Bjorn chapter, uh, the phrase Gandalf the Gray got used. Well, we I can, don't have the I don't have the book handy to look it up. But. We will answer that in part two of our Hobbit discussion. Stay tuned. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah, anyways, I mean, will will we be able to find more things to talk about? I don't know. I mean, oh. it it. It it just goes back to the to the fairy tale nature of of especially this this opening chapter. I mean it's I mean it, it's very much like the start of a of a D and D campaign. You've you've got your character. You know he's a level one fighter. He's got a sword and he's he's got a backpack. And that that's about all you know about your character. I mean we've 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 got Bilbo. We know who is who his parents are. We know he lives in a in a big house, and he he likes to eat, but we really don't know that much more about him. And then and then Gandalf shows up, and Gandalf says, "You're the perfect person to go on a quest. Why? Because I said so." Right. And and, and that's how it it begins. We don't we don't we don't worry about about uh, backstory. We don't worry about unnecessary plot details. We want to get to the to 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 the action, and we're we're off running from page page one and i i think i think that that's part of of the genius of this story is, is that it, it goes from, from this this, this very dreamlike beginning to like as we as we progress th- things get heavier and more 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 detailed like you can you can you can almost imagine this chapter is is drawn in crayon and and by by the time we we get to the to to the battle of five armies it's an it's an it's an oil painting mm. yeah i remember having a conversation with somebody um like right after the first of the three hobbit movies came out 
and they had not read the book and they had no intention of reading the book. And they said, you know, what is it, what is it like later on? It's like speaking really broadly. And I said, well, things get a lot worse, but stuff doesn't get really bad until the, after the dragon is dead. And that really surprised them that that was the direction that it would eventually go. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I found myself lacking anything intelligent to say following that. Sorry, man. <laughs> you know, if there was somebody who was listening to this who was like just allergic to awkward pauses, they would have stopped listening to Appendix in a long time ago. I'm sure. Well, I mean, we're we're like Bilbo. We're 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 very awkwardly polite. We 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 don't know quite what to say, but we know we, we have to we have to say say something. So we just we just sit here and uh, fum, fum, fumble around. Good morning. <laughs> good good morning. Okay. That's great. We've now, we've been important t- question. Yes. Sorry. Yes, Lewis. Important is question. It, is anyone else smoking a pipe while we're having this conversation? Cuz I have been the entire time. That is awesome. <laughs> and no. No, no, sadly, no. I've I've never smoked in, in my life. Uh, that's that's disappointing, man. I I literally there's so much talk of pipes and tobacco in the stories and in the movies. It puts this compulsion in me. I've, I've smoked a pipe for like twenty years, and it's it just I can't not pick up a pipe after I read or discuss this stuff. It comes up a lot. That's yeah. certainly true. There's yeah. there's something magical about about pipes that that almost makes smoking tobacco seem not disgusting. It is pretty cool. <laughs> but I, I I still don't want cancer. So <laughs> I think that there's some interesting discussion to be had about what pipes and pipe smoking really represents in Tolkien because a lot of the time it seems like sitting and smoking a pipe is like the most civilized thing that you can be doing, the most peaceable anti-war, anti-war, anti-Lord of the Rings, just quiet, hobbity, uh, civil, polite, courteous mm-hmm. thing that you can do, right? When Bilbo is comes to, comes to in... Um, the caves right before he meets Gollum, he feels around and he discovers, you know, that he has his pipe and he has his tobacco and he's really pleased by that. And then he realizes he doesn't have any matches and that's really uh, disheartening to him. (laughs) But then at the end of return of the King, you have Sharky who, you know, apparently has just been smoking way too much. Yeah. It's a bad thing. He's smoked the, the entire Shire basically. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's, he's 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 put the Shire in his in his pipe and lit lit it on fire. Um, yeah. So I guess like if you are smoking a pipe, it's one of those things that well, one, it's a long smoke. You know, it's kind of a pain in the butt to get the bowl going, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, in my experience with like a tobacco pipe, and so I get why it's to Tolkien like this piece of civility because if you're going to actually sit down and smoke, I mean, it's not like going out outside and like you know, a couple minutes, couple five minutes, you're done with a cigarette, like you're in for a sit when you decide that you're going to light a pipe. And so it forces you to kind of slow down your pace and to have very little to do other than just talk with people, which seems fundamentally pretty civilized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Tolkien, Tolkien was, was, was not a fan of 
you know what 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 he saw as 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 the fast-paced world that that the world around him was 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 becoming he was he was living at 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 the dawn of the of the of the 20th century when people were just starting to drive cars and there was there was all this this noise everywhere and he he thought it was it was very very terrible you know the the world world was changing around him and he he did didn't like it and he he this this whole his 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 whole oeuvre to to use use the french was was sort of this 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 nostalgia for a a simpler time when you could just sit on your porch and eat breakfast all 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 day long and after that have a second breakfast and apparently not do any work <laughs> it's a very childlike uh childlike view of the world right mm-hmm. i mean that's that's really why bilbo has no job right right it's because why does he need one right Kids, kids don't have a job. Their their job is 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 to play and 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 eat. Yeah, that's right. I want to be a kid when 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 I grow up. Oh wait, I already <laughs> am. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, does anyone have any final thoughts on the first six chapters of The Hobbit or Rover Random or or how we could uh, compare the two? stories Hmm. Uh, one tiny point of comparison I wrote myself a note about is that he gives himself permission to talk directly to the reader in both of those books Mm -hmm. which is a very children's literature type of approach Mm -hmm. and and again it it adds some levity and it gives him the the ability to to kind of keep the mood light and kind of shape how the how this material is striking the reader um, and I thought that was an interesting thing because he, he does the same thing in both of, in both of these stories. Yeah, there's a little bit of ironic distance where he's both criticizing Rover Random's behavior and saying that he's not, you know, always as smart as he thinks he is. That the uh, the dog in the moon is not always as smart as as he thinks he is, and so forth. And similarly, he uh, kind of takes Bilbo to task a little bit for. For his short sightedness, I I, I I like the line in Rover Random where um, some someone disappears into 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 thin air, and and Tolkien says the air on the moon is very thin, as someone who's never been there will 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 tell you. And it, it's I mean it's 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 that very subtle satire of 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 people that that I think is is what what makes Tolkien great. Having a good time, you know. So if if uh, Artaxerxes and the Man in the Moon and Samothos Samothetes were were to team up, could they take down Gandalf, Saruman, and Radagast? I'd give them a decent shot because we never hear about Saruman or or those dudes going to the moon. So he's they've got that on him already. Mm-hmm. What would defeating them look like? Because if you defeat Gandalf, he just comes back on the third day with more superpowers. <laughs> That's right. This isn't even my final form. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I mean, you've ruined but, Gandalf. Gandalf will always be Frieza to me now. Thank you. Well, that, that, that would only happen if the Valar thought it was really important that Gandalf defeat Artaxerxes, the Man in the Moon, and Samothos Samothetes. Why would Gandalf be fighting uh, Artaxerxes if the Valar did not think it was important, conversely? Because it's a hypothetical situation. That's why. 
We are plumbing the exact reasons why I always had trouble with the X-Men movies, right? Because I would sit and watch them and be like, why is Gandalf fighting Captain Picard? They should be friends. And like, was never really able to get over that. Oh, I'm not sure Gandalf has friends. But if he was going to have a friend, Captain Picard would be a good choice. They both like tea, I assume. Okay. Any, any final, final, final thoughts? Great book. Let's keep talking about it. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, if, if you want to hear uh, more random thoughts from us about the the Hobbit and other writings from J.R.R. Tolkien, you can listen to part two of our discussion coming to a pod feed near you. In the meantime, uh, Lewis, is there anywhere on the internet that people can find you? Absolutely. They can find me at Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton, R-E-V-L-O-U-I-S-B-R-E-N-T-O-N. And I also write at lewisbrenton.com. And Peter Foxhoven, where on the internet can people find you? And they can find me at cromcountthedead.com. It's pretty all right. I write stuff sometimes. How many, how many dead are there if, 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 we, if we were to count them? Uh, hundreds. Crom is counting. You know, he's just sitting there strong on his mountain waiting for people to tell him the riddle is steel. So. I, wonder, I wonder if Crom is friends with, with, with the count. I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, like, as he's, like, doling out death and victory, right? You just have him going, like, two dead warriors. Ah, ah, ah. That'd be great. <laughs> I want that to be true very desperately. Oh, yeah. That, in my mind, it is now. <laughs> I want that on a, on a T-shirt. All right. Um, Jeff, what's new at JeffWick.com? As we record this, very little is new at jeffwick.com as I have been working on some stuff that is not going onto that site, so it's been lying fallow. Uh, when this, By the time this goes up live, I don't know, it'll be, what, 2017, 2018? So who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure this, like this will point. be live in 2016. Listeners, please go to jeffwick.com. He, he, he writes excellent uh, articles and and things there, and write to Jeff and tell him how much you really want him to write more. I appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you very much, <laughs> listeners. It is my sincere hope that you have enjoyed listening to our discussion. If you would like to add to the conversation, please send an email to the Tome Show at gmail dot com. Put appendix N in the subject line so that the Tome Show folks know to forward it right to me. You don't have to wait long for more Hobbit talk. Our next episode will be part two of our Hobbit discussion. We will be talking about The Hobbit from Chapter 7, Queer Lodgings, to Chapter 11, On the Doorstep. We will also be talking about Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, which can be found in the hardcover collection Tales from from the Perilous Realm. If you are shopping for these books on Amazon, please visit The Tome Show's webpage at thetomeshow.com and use our Amazon affiliate link. We would very much appreciate it. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 29, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, Part 1. Thanks for listening. We're friends.